Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. BDPAI Radio showcases IT entrepreneurs, technology experts, and computer science academics. We highlight people with a passion for educating our youth in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. BDPAI Radio Show serves the BDPA members, sponsors, entrepreneurs, educational institutions, and the black community. BDPAI Radio, linking business education, and technology. Welcome to the BDPA iRadio Show. I'm Jayla Cruz. Tonight is Tuesday, February 23rd, 2016, and our guests are Dr. Juan Gilbert, Computer and Information Science Chair at the University of Florida, Kobe Burrell, Computer Software Consultant and Contractor, and finally, Lauren Belton, Assistant Vice President at Wells Fargo. Our co-hosts include myself, Tim Butts, and Ron Story. Our studio engineer is Everaldo Gallimore, and our producer is Fran McNeil. With that introduction, let's get started with our first interview. Tim? Good evening, iRadio audience. This is Tim Butts. And I am here in Houston, Texas, and we will be diving into the first interview with our first guest. I am privileged to introduce to some and reintroduce to others Dr. Juan Gilbert, who's the Computer and Information Science Chair at University of Florida. Good evening, Dr. Gilbert. How are you? Good evening. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Great. Oh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Now, Forgive me, but I have never been to the University of Florida. What city are you in? What city is the university in? The University of Florida is located in Gainesville, Florida. I'm two hours from uh, Orlando and about an hour and a half from Jacksonville. Okay. And with that said, I'd like to introduce a little information about you so our audience is better acquainted with you as we go into our interview. Dr. Juan Gilbert is the Andrew Banks Family Preeminent Endowed Professor and Chair of the Computer and Information Science and Engineering Department at the University of Florida, where he leads the Human Experience Research Lab. Dr. Gilbert has research uh, projects in spoken language systems, advanced learning technologies, usability, and accessibility, ethno-computing, culturally relevant computing, Databases and data mining are also on his toolkit. He has published more than 140 articles, has given more than 200 talks, and obtained more than $24 million in research funding. He proudly is a fellow of the American Association and Advancement of Science. There's a lot more that I could share with you, audience, but throughout our interview, I will grab some snippets from the introduction and the information bio that I have on this prestigious gentleman. But 
But that said, I'd like to jump into the interview, and we'll get chatting. So, good evening again. Good evening. Dr. Hugh. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Now, it's our understanding that you have been involved with or been a supporter or sponsor of BDPA for some time. Can you give us a little background on that? That is correct. It goes back to 19, probably I think 1997, uh, when I had joined the Cincinnati chapter of BDPA. At that time, Wayne Hicks was uh, the president. He, int- he introduced me to the chapter, and I've been a member ever since. And going to conferences and meetings and just getting in where I fit in. So BDPA has been family for many, many years for for me through my graduate education and as a professional, as a professor. So it's been very good for me. I see. That's tremendous. And you mentioned the name of our esteemed uh, sponsor, Wayne Hicks, who helps to get us all corralled and uh, herds us together as we are across the country. We are in various cities across the country, and that's how we do our show. Mm-hmm. So it's a tremendous opportunity to chat with you, and as I continue to look through this litany of honors that you have, one thing that interests me is that, as you said, 1997, you came in, a member of the Cincinnati chapter, but yet here you are now the chairperson of the Computer and Information Science Department, University of Florida, also doing excellent things, very creative things within the world of high tech. Tell us a little bit about how you have transitioned from being a student to being a leader and a scholar in IT. Well, uh, that transition has been over many years, but essentially it it involves a lot of perseverance and hard work. For many years, being an African-American in IT, it can be a very uh, lonely journey. But, uh, again, that's where BDPA helps in that you actually can meet people that look like you doing the things that you're doing, and that builds community. So being able to have those those models, and particularly for young people, I, I like to say if they can see it, they can be it. If yeah. if you put that in front of these young people, it really helps them to aspire to higher levels. And I'm I'm one of those people. When I was going through the program, uh, getting my Ph.D. at the University of Cincinnati, I was the only African American in the program. Uh, wow. Come come to find out, there was another one in a in the computer engineering department, and we didn't even know each other. So it's it can be very isolating, but BDPA helped with my leadership development in the sense that I had a community. Now, you mentioned right there leadership development. So I'm going to share a couple more tidbits with the audience about you. Check this out, you guys. In 2012, Dr. Gilbert received the Presidential Award for Excellence in Science, Mathematics, and Engineering Mentoring from President Barack Obama. Right. He also received the American Association for the Advancement of Science 2014 Mentor Award. He was recently named one of the 50 most important African Americans in technology. He was also named a 2015-2016 AAAS Lemelson Inventor Ambassador. 
Speech Technology Luminary by Speech Technology Magazine and a national role model by Minority Access Incorporated. Dr. Gilbert, these are fantastic honors, yet here we are so esteemed. We are honored to have you in our presence to share, but I love the way you've broken it down. You said if you can see it, you can be it, and it does take the hard work. It's not just going to happen. It's not going to fall in your lap, but you set a goal, you stay the course, you persevere, but you also have focus. You work hard. Tell us a little bit about how that plays out and how BDPA has been part of that journey. Well, again, for me, when when Wayne Hicks found me, and I don't even know how we met, but it was he a chance you? meeting. Yeah, he found me. It was a chance meeting in <laughs> back in 1997. And if you know Wayne, no one will be surprised by that. So uh, he, he said, look, we, we have, you know, Black Data Process Association. I didn't know anything about it. He said, we have a meeting coming up. We meet at the Urban League. Come check us out. So that's how it all started. And for me going through my process, it was, again, isolating, pursuing the Ph.D., and having an opportunity to go to the BDPA meetings where I could see other professionals, where I could meet people who were understood the language that I was talking. It, yeah. it, it was very refreshing and encouraging, especially during those times when things were a little rough. So uh, I think, it, it's again, it's one of those things where you don't want to be isolated. And, and, and what you want to do, if you want someone to fail, you isolate them and take away resources and community. And so by having BDPA, it really gave me an opportunity. And it it just increased over the years. It started with just going to the the Cincinnati chapter meetings, then going to the conference and meeting Jesse Bimley and understanding about the the students working in BDPA, the programming contest. All of those things, you know, can make connections to broader communities throughout the country even. So that – you can't underestimate the power of community, and that, and that's very important. That's exceptional, and what a rousing way to speak about the organization. There are those that are even involved and very engaged in the organization, but as we do our work and our normal jobs, I'll, well, you know, I'll speak for myself. I am very honored to be chatting with you and really put in perspective the ability to focus at an academic level, to struggle, but know that with a sense of community you can overcome the struggles, and then to be polished by your peers in the midst of all those different things you're going through. You didn't just get through the grind and come out on the other side. You came through a finished, polished product. I'm not going to even say finished because I know the wise of us know we are never finished products, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. – but, but still, the fact that you are sharing with us, I really hope that some young kids out there right now are listening, taking notes, and just taking, gobbling it up, because to see it is to be it. To hear it is to endure it and to endear it. And uh, you're just sharing some amazing things with us. Yeah, Tell me what I would, it about. Yeah, go ahead, go I, ahead. I would extend that to say, yeah, definitely the kids. But I also want to make sure that the the professionals are listening and understand your role. Don't underestimate your influence. You, you you know, just because you didn't teach someone, you know, something about Java or some programming language or something, 
don't underestimate your ability to inspire someone just by them knowing you exist. It's very likely, and in my particular case, I had never seen an African-American with a Ph.D. in computer science until many years after I had, you know, I had just gotten mine. So you can't you can't say that just because, you know, I'm talking to these kids and I don't, they're not paying attention. You don't, don't see it that way. But from their perspective, by them seeing you and knowing that you exist and what you do enables yeah. them to be able to, to be that someday. So just the acknowledgement of who you are is very important. That's tremendous. That's a tremendous way of looking at it. That, that point of view and that frame of reference, the diversity in the various roles we play within the whole field of IT, engineering, science, math, it's very important for us to look in the mirror and know we are part of the role model system for our peers as well as for our children. Yes. Do you, as a, as, as a leader, mentor others? Because it says oh, here yes. you're a, it says here you're a mentor. You won mentoring awards. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, yes, uh, at the University of Florida. So through my experience of getting my PhD, I was the only African American, and I said, uh, well, if I ever get my PhD, I, I don't want anyone to have to experience what I do. And so I was able to get my PhD, become a professor. And so I, what I would do is recruit two, you know, African American kids in my lab. And I never let them be isolated. So I recruited two, two turned into four, four turned into eight, and it just grew to the point now where we're the nation's largest producer of African-American PhDs in computer science. No one's produced more than we have. Uh, So we've done that. And then we have the nation's largest group of uh, African-American faculty in computer science. We have six African-American tenure-track faculty members, and no one else, most HBCUs don't even have that. So right. we've been able to build a community and, and mentoring these people through the process. So it's I, I'll give you an example of something that's really just eye-opening. My students okay. go to conferences, and they'll hear other students talk about, you know, their experience. You know, I'm isolated. I'm the only one. So they put together a proposal for a panel that is called uh, Unisolated because in their wow. world they never experienced that. <laughs> that is tremendous. Yes. So now they are so empowered that they can share one how to not be isolated and almost invite people by sticking out the hand and using a famous picture of the hand reaching over the wall and pulling somebody else up. Gilbert, yeah. I immediately yes, I immediately picture that when I'm hearing what you're talking about. When That's I look exactly at what the, it is. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Even when I'm looking at the the uh, description of the lab, in as much as it is a speech technology lab, mm-hmm. I, I think that the content as well as the design of what you're doing is tremendous. What a legacy, man. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, we do it. We did it deliberately, and you're right. That's part of it is keeping people from being isolated. And people could go to. Lab days, L-A-B-D-A-Z-E dot com, and watch okay. our, our web series. It's it's very different. You, we were at Clemson at the time when we filmed that, but that's that tells our story in, in many respects of who we are and what we do. I just wrote that down. L-A-B-D-A-Z-E. Lab yep. days. 
So tell me, and I don't want to get off this ethno-computing, culturally yes. relevant computing. Audience, they have a lab that works with ethno-computing. Tell me, what is that? How does it work? Well, uh, I like to introduce it by asking people a question. Imagine this. Is it possible for any human being to invent or create anything in the absence of who you are? Wow. And our answer is no. You can tell me anything that's been created, and you tell me who created and I can show you how their culture influenced that. So with that premise, ethno-computing refers to the idea of building computing technologies and things that support computing from a culturally relevant perspective, acknowledging who you are and what you do. Imagine this. Remember um, uh, Schoolhouse Rock, and yes. and many of your listeners are, are resonate with this. I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill. Yep. Imagine that whole series, the influence it had, on people understanding government and things. And it it only aired many, many years ago. Yeah. So imagine this. We took that same kind of technology and created algebra lessons that use hip-hop and game-like wow. animations to teach African-American kids algebra concepts. That's a form of culturally relevant or ethno-computing. The idea is looking at who you are and what you do and intentionally incorporating that into the design of these artifacts. Absolutely. That is amazing and phenomenally brilliant in how you're looking at meeting people where they are. Because in my Christian walk, that's one thing I always do. I try to meet people where they are. I don't come around and say, here's how I'm going to do it and give the same flavor to everybody. First you evaluate, you talk, figure out where somebody is, and then you meet them where they are. And by engaging them in that fashion, what brilliant way of doing. This is tremendous, tremendous. Thank you. Now, I would say if you had not earned your doctorate, just the pure brilliance of what you've mapped out and what you're doing would have easily earned you an honorary doctorate because this is something that's not going to be a flash in the pan. Obviously, this is a methodology that you've incorporated, an algorithm that's going to, that's in, going to influence many people for generations to come. God bless you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, for the radio audience, I'm sure they're asking themselves, this gentleman started off as a student, he dived in, became a doctorate, and I know even in that transition, that's that's skipping some steps. But I would love to know, as you made that transition and maintained the vision of what you wanted to give back, because it's clear that's part of what you're about, both doing, moving forward, but also giving back. There obviously are some lessons learned that you've encountered as you've traveled your journey to this point. Would you like to share any of that? Oh, certainly. Uh, First and foremost, uh, you can't do it by yourself. All right, you got to, I don't know your faith and what you believe in, but you're not going to be able to do this by yourself. That's number one. Number two, along your journey, there will be people who will help you out. And everyone that doesn't look like you isn't necessarily against you, and everyone that looks like you isn't necessarily for you. You Mm. have to judge judge people by what they do, not by what they say. And so you understand who your allies are, 
and you allow people to help you. I, I often find a lot of our students feel like they have to do it on their own. They have to be independent. They have to struggle, and that's not true. Uh, our, our counterparts, like our, my Chinese students, they are yes. very culturally rich in helping each other. There's no shame in yep. that, and, right. and we should be the same way. So it's not where you start. It's where you finish that matters. So you have to be open to allowing others to help you. And then we always hear this. Once you get where you're going to go, don't forget where you came from and help someone else. So that's my simplest way of putting what it's like to to go along any journey in life, in particular for a goal that you aspire to uh, obtain. That's outstanding. And that has to be our last word because we're coming up on the end of our interview time. I mm-hmm. easily could engage you with a conversation for an hour or two or three. <laughs> but I'm but I'm going to take the initiative of reaching out to you via LinkedIn, and we can have some ongoing conversations. And I will get my tail from Texas over to visit the University of Florida. That's the Gators, right? That's right. We're the Gators. All right. All right. I'll make sure I get over there and visit you. But uh, oh, I would love, radio to. Audience, love to have you. Super, super. Radio audience, we've been blessed, and we've had a great conversation. Dr. Juan Gilbert, University of Florida, Computer and Information Science Chair, thank you all so much. And now we transition to a word from our sponsor. BDPA is the premier organization for people of African-American descent in the information technology industry. BDPA exists to advance the careers of African-Americans in the IT industry from the classroom to the boardroom. You can find BDPA on group site, Twitter, and Facebook. Welcome back. Up next, we have Mr. Kobe Burrell. Let me start out by reading his bio. Kobe Burrell is self-employed. He worked for a number of years as a system engineer with a number of startups. BDPA has known Kobe for over a quarter of a century. We first met him 25 years ago when he competed as part of the high school computer competition team, trained by BDPA Detroit chapter. His HSCC team won the 1991 HSCC championship. He later received his college degree from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. His professional career has worked itself through corporations like CISERVE. He is living and working in the San Francisco area, and BDPA, our radio show audience, would love to hear what Kobe remembers about his HSCC training from 25 years ago and what he remembers about his championship run at the conference held in New York. So with that introduction, let's welcome Kobe Burrell. How are you today? I'm doing really well, thank you. How about yourself? Doing well, excellent. So you're calling out of the San Francisco area. Yeah, I'm actually How in How is Oakland. everything there? Yeah, it's really good. The, the weather has been beautiful for the last few days. I'm, I'm in Oakland, which is just across from San Francisco, about seven miles um, from San Francisco. Oh, wow. So what type of activities are you involved with there, uh, technology-wise? Well, uh, my work keeps me pretty busy, um, but I do uh, try to get to some technology-based meetups when I when I have time. Awesome. So how did you first find out about BDPA, and what has kept you involved? Well, I actually, to be honest, I haven't been involved since I've been in California, but uh, when I was in high school, I uh, – 
did some research at the library. I was looking around for different scholarship opportunities and networking opportunities, and I, I found it through the Detroit Public Library. Cool. So what's one of your um, proudest accomplishments? Um, probably uh, my undergrad degree from MIT. I um, am coming out into the um, Silicon Valley and, and having some success and working with different startup companies out here. How did BDPA prepare you for uh, college uh, as well as uh, your um, professional career? Well, it gave me kind of a real first foray into actually like getting into writing code and working with computers, and it actually sort of kind of ignited my uh, my love for that for, for doing that kind of activity, um, and it. It, it let me know that it was something that I could do, that it was an actual creative and productive outlet and a way to, um, but also a way to, uh, to, to actually have a career in that industry. Um, you know, growing up in Detroit, it wasn't, there weren't a lot of um, other role models or examples of that as a, as a, as a career path. So that was, a, it, was, it kind of opened my eyes to that. Why are you passionate about technology? Because it, it it's a way um, for people to connect. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. So it, it has a, the ability to empower and to allow us to connect with each other, but it can also be isolating. And I think if when used correctly and used consciously, it's a way for um, us to, to build uh, connections with each other and to to solve problems and build community. Now, I know that you said that uh, careers in technology can be isolating. But do you have any tips or advice for individuals who are looking to go into such career to um, expand? I'm sorry, could you, could you repeat that one more time? To expand outside of isolation within the technology industry. Oh yeah, so I think the the for me what I found is that you have to make an effort to um, to get out and to network. I mean, I'm, I have a very typical kind of uh, programmer personality where I could actually just sit and write code for hours on end, and I find that um, especially as I get older. Um, that it's important to maintain human connections. So with family, with friends, it's just making time to, to do that. For a uh, networking organization like BDCA, um, a web uh, is available in your area. It's important to do that. What do you <laughs> remember about uh, competing in the HSBC? Um, yeah, that was quite a, quite a long time ago. Um, I remember that it was it was just a really fun time, um, kind of working with a team of other people, and uh, just you know, writing code. Um, it was uh, you know it was uh, a time of you know a lot of anxiety, of course, of, of competing. But I think it was really really a wonderful thing. What would you say? Would if you had to summarize the conference in 
the competition in one word, what word would you use? Mm, that's always a tough one. Um, empowering. Yes, why? Yeah, just because um, it's for being at that age, for all of us being at that age at that time, um, and and just realizing that this is something that we could actually be good at and do, when it wasn't ever really something that was on the table before that. I think that was uh, gave us a really kind of um, a sense of power and fulfillment that we could take with us for the rest of our lives. Were you always interested in pursuing a career in technology, or uh, when you were younger, did you ever have any other uh, career aspirations? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, I, I always enjoyed uh, playing with computers and, and, you know, video games and all that when I was younger, but I had uh, originally intended to be a veterinarian, <laughs> and it wasn't until I got to high school and... um found BDPA, and I had a, com- uh, a computer teacher who kind of also encouraged me a lot in that area. Interesting. It, can you expound more on that experience as far as transitioning into um, you um, figuring out that maybe technology was the route you wanted to go into? Yeah, I think it was because um, this, you know, this was a time, you know, like I said, it was a long time ago before um, it was as prevalent as it is today, uh, career-wise and and just in 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 general in the community. Um, so for me, I, I think that um, in my first programming class and then um, kind of just being introduced to that world and the possibility there. Uh, you know, my first programming language was basic, and um, you know, just the that the thrill of like writing something that could, um, you know, writing a program that could do something was just uh, it kind of set that spark in me. Um, even when I got to school, I actually had started off as um, an electrical engineer, and um, quickly found that. Um, computer science was the way that I wanted to go, but it actually was a much more natural fit for my personality and interest. Interesting. So throughout that time, uh, what two lessons would you like to share with BDPA, our radio audience, whether it's career-wise or personal? Well, I think for me, even at the age that I am, is that, that you just never stop learning. You never stop reading. You never stop. Um, and, you know, these days you can find a lot of information on YouTube or taking classes, but you just never have to stop working on your personal development, especially if you have a career in technology. It's kind of important to always um, stay abreast as much as you can of, of what's, you know, what's out there, what opportunities, career opportunities might be available to you, um, and keep track of where the, the industry is going. And the other thing I think is just um, that it's always to, to listen to the advice of other people, listen to input from other people, and listen to what they have to say. But the ultimate responsibility, the ultimate decision is, is for you. So you have, to, you have to make that for yourself. And there's nothing wrong with making a choice and making a mistake. 
and they recognize it and moving on and doing something else. It's just a part of life. Excellent. Those are all great. So in these final moments here, do you have any final things that you'd like to share with the BDPA, our radio audience? Um, yeah, just kind of what I was saying before about, um, you know, just allowing, remembering that technology is something that can, we can use to empower ourselves and to connect, but just, that it can also be isolating and that um, we have to just be aware, you know, if you're on using Facebook or all these other different app, apps and stuff that um, that you're not using as a uh, way to isolate yourself, but to to make to supposed to enrich your life, not to. Um, it's not a detriment. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time out to interview with us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it was quite a. Uh, a pleasant surprise to uh, to hear from Wayne. It was after 25 years. Sure. And um, that's a wrap with our interview today. Again, thank you so much. And uh, now we will take a word from our sponsor. The BDPA Education and Technology Foundation, a nonprofit organization that exists for the sole purpose of funding BDPA programs scholarships, and services around the nation. Follow us on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash BDPA Foundation or Twitter, www.twitter.com forward slash BDPA. Hey, good evening. Uh, This is Ronald Story, and I'm with you with BDPA Our Radio. Tonight, we have with us Lawrence Belton. Lawrence, how are you this evening? Doing absolutely fabulous. Thank you for having me on tonight. Okay, and we, we're so proud and, 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 and elated to have you to share with us this evening as well. And thank you for taking the time to, uh, out of your busy schedule to uh, share with our audience as we engage in a conversation around that which you do. I'm going to just dive right on into your um, brief bio that we have here. Um, and so if, if you can uh, bear with us, I will uh, share that information with our audience. Tim is a certified security professional who manages cybersecurity and malware threat analysis for one of the major financial institutions, Wells Fargo. The loss of money privacy, and well-being as a result of people breaking through our cybersecurity at a corporate level and even on a personal level is at an all-time high. We've asked Lawrence to speak to our BDPA our radio audience about steps that can take at home, steps that we all can take at home on the job to increase our own sense of well-being when it comes to this whole issue of cybersecurity. Just as a thought. Is your mobile device, laptop, or computer safe? Are your children safe when they are online? Lawrence will share his insights and suggestions with our audience. And again, welcome Lawrence Belton, Technology Manager, Cyber Threat at Wells Fargo. And again, good evening. So, Lawrence, um, as you've, you've heard our other guests this evening, and we always open up with a question around um, BDPA and how did you find out about BDPA? 
This one is close to my heart. Uh, Julius Clark, who's been heavily involved in the BDPA uh, with Wayne, introduced me to the BDPA in 2007 um, as a way to gain more exposure and understand what was going on uh, within technology in Charlotte, North Carolina, just as an opportunity to, again, gain a exposure and also work on my resume and just look for guidance from those that were uh, involved in technology. It was just, it was eye-opening. Oh, great. And that's just one of the things that, that I'm, I'm proud that I always share with the audience is that the history is rich in the give back and the sharing um, amongst um, peers in the IT and computing industry and amongst professionals um, throughout BDPA. Um, so, yeah, thank you. So you've been involved you said, since 2007? Since 2007. Okay, great. In terms of it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but, man, it's it's funny it's to think about time. it. <laughs> it's a time. In terms of your service to BDPA, what accomplishment are you most proud of? I think for me it was for a couple of years I was not heavily involved in BDPA. I was still there but not heavily involved. It was a turning point for me was in 2014. I won the Most Promising Technologist Epsilon Award and had an opportunity to attend the BDPA National Conference to receive that, receive that award. And I think what stood out was, one, it was humbling to have been nominated because I didn't know that I was even in the running to be, have been nominated and to win. But that was my first experience at the National Conference to uh, really experience the high school computer competition, the championship, watching, and I was completely overwhelmed by the kids' professionalism, how polished they were, and that spoke to each city, whether the kids won or whether they lost. But you saw those kids come in, receive a challenge, and not have the opportunity to make excuses. Uh, they just had to step up, and they, you know, they all worked hard to try to meet and achieve that goal. And it was just overwhelming to um, – there was a child, I think he was in a youth technology competition, out of Chicago, nine years old walked up to me, shook my hand, looked me in the eyes, and handed me his resume at nine years old. It was the the most amazing thing that showed how we were, you know, paying it forward with our kids, bringing them up and giving them experience and exposure to technology and what they could do and how it would help them kind of step aside and be different when they went back in their communities and know that there was an opportunity for me uh, within the BDPA, within technology, period. Excellent, excellent. I like what you share that that paying it forward and, and that that, that the, and painting the picture of an of a of the reach back to a nine year old and the professionalism that the young man shared with introducing himself and and sharing his up to date resume. <laughs> that was amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> <Yes>. was amazing. <laughs> and it, it speaks to the other thing it spoke to is that. For that young man to be polished and ready, it took having a parent, someone to take the time with that child, to instill in him that you are worth something and it is important for you to be prepared and able to talk to people. And at nine years old, you think about as that child progresses and grows, how much more comfortable that that young child and the other ones in the BDPA conference, HSBC, will be in leading conversations with their peers. And not just having conversations, but leading conversations. Mm-hmm. 
needing and not just having conversation. Correct. Excellent. I just love the nuggets our guests drop on our audience month to month. It's like I'm going to grad school two to two twice a month with the with the BDPR radio audience. It's, it's it's just awesome speaking with individuals such as yourself, professionals in the field. Tell us something about your current position, and I'm going to get into the um the the those protective type that protective conversation of our consumer audience with regards to what it is that you do and those things that you can raise our awareness around cybersecurity. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm a manager. I am a former, just to give you some background, I am a, a geek, a nerd, you name it, when it comes to technology. But I have the mm-hmm. pleasure of leading uh, some information security engineers that manage the technology. Well, I can't go into every detail of what we do. It is how do we enable a business to mitigate the risk. What are, you know, we go out and, and my team constantly looks for challenges or opportunities uh, to improve and lower the cybersecurity risk across the board for Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a dream. It's a dream come true. It's something I enjoy daily is, is leading a team. And I'm blessed that I love security. Um, I believe I love, I love security in my core, but it's having an opportunity to lead a team and not manage, but lead and help help uh, set strategies for success. And, and can you share with us, um, our audience, uh, a couple of those strategies for success? Something that you've uh, have taken to heart. It's it's leading, not managing a team. It is. Uh, understanding in life, and as we go through our careers, whether you're leading, you're a component owner, you're a member of a team. Uh, for me, when I lead individuals, what I try to focus on is I try to set the path. I don't try to provide every step. It's allowing people to be themselves, to ensure that we get to the same place. We may not, we may not follow the same path. They may do mm-hmm. something different than I. But as long as we get to the same path together within that time frame that, you know, we need to adhere to, it's watching that. And in doing that and maturing as a leader, watching the, watching an individual grow, watching a team grow and come together. Uh, mm-hmm. No different than a coach, a great coach managing a football team, a soccer team, a basketball team. You've got these players. You know where you need to go. Can you help guide them and be there when they need help? Uh, don't hesitate to correct when needed, but allowing them to find their way, and then coming together and find our way to you know to get to that, to that point where we need to be, and just ensuring at all times that we never hesitate to grow and change, that we are always looking within ourselves for what more can we do, where can we grow and improve, and not being afraid to ask those questions of those that report to us, our peers, our friends, just always striving to improve ourselves. How, how do you help to, in, in the sense I call it coaching and, 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 and urging others along with recognizing that of which they have within to improve, to, to, to reach that pinnacle of success? How do I accomplish that? It's, Humbling myself and ensuring that I'm asking questions, um, knowing that my way 
may not always be the the right way. That your perspective uh, may be the right perspective in humbling myself. And by humbling myself, I think what I'm able to do is get to know members of my team, my peers uh, better, because hopefully they understand that I'm not putting myself on a pedal so that it's my way or the highway. It's here is the direction we need to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, respecting your opinion and stepping in at times, you know, as a manager, um, there are times when, you know, I need to set direction. But letting that be roughly 10 or 20% that this is what you need to do for this specific reason. But, you know, 80% of the time, here's, here's where we need to go. What do you think? And, you know, how can we get there? And letting you chart your own path. Just, again, just being there to help pick you up and put you back on that path if you fall off. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I love, I love what you just shared with, with us uh, with regards to watching a team grow and striving, and, and most importantly, asking questions. So many times, uh, many of us just, just get afraid and, 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 and I get scared and not asking those questions. Um, and there's, there's nothing wrong with asking a question and being open. And then there's a leader, as you said, too, humbling oneself, um, not knowing as a leader that I don't have all the answers. Um, and that I have others around me that I've been blessed with to be able to, to go to, to be able to share and contribute uh, to our overall goal. Um, so when we look at, again, some, some of the roles in cybersecurity, um, I like to say I'm familiar with the products um, at, at, with um, the institution that you're with. I am a customer. And, um, and I have to also say that um, I've been protected through um, uh, the watchdog uh, process that, that the um, company has with overlooking their customers' accounts. Um, at some point, my, my, my financial status was uh, breached, and, and, and I was contacted by the bank and they say, hey, um, there's some activity in your account, and uh, we could call you to let you know we're shutting it down because it doesn't look like you. And then, so I was asking questions and said, nope, that isn't me. Uh, they protected me, protected the money. The money was taken out. They put it back. And then uh, we had to do some things with changing the account. Um, and so the, the bank in itself was proactive. And up to that point, um, I was kind of leery about, you know, really what does an institution do if, if your account is breached, um, um, if, if, some, if there's identity theft in it, what, what are the protections? What, what should I do? And I'm really happy to say that uh, Wellesley took a proactive approach and contacted me, not only by phone call, but by um, um, email. Um, and, and once you know, we looked into it, it was, it was true. Um, you know, that was, not, that was not my, you know, I was not in another part of the world uh, making transactions <laughs> toward that time. Um, so, so I share that with the audience to know that um, a lot of institutions, especially a person of, of, of your statute, an African American at, at a high level within a financial institution, providing services uh, to to a particular customer base that are that are real. Um, the threats are out there that's real. Um, I have um, just to share with the, the audience as well. Uh, one of the biggest threats um, that the IRS always um, talk about and look for. Uh, that they, they that that's first and foremost is 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 um, identity theft, and and that's first and foremost. And with cyber identity um, problems, 
um, professionals such as yourself being able behind the scenes uh, provide those uh, protections um, 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 for that. What are some of the basic consumer types of um, protections one should do? Say, for instance, we, we, when I, in your intro, I spoke about mobile devices. What are some of the things we should be conscious about when using a, a mobile phone or um, checking our account or, you know, looking at balances or doing um, on, on transfers and things of that nature? It's a great, great, a great question. And before I answer that, something you said resonated with when you spoke about some of the protections, some of the things that um, you experienced, I think it goes back to our vision and value. You know, it's, we want to satisfy every customer's financial needs and help them succeed financially. And that goes to valuing what's right by the customer all the time. And part of that goes to what you encountered of how do we protect you? If something happens, how do we help you? I think mm-hmm. you, you think about some of, um, a couple of things. One is we talk about mobile devices where mobility really is where we are right now. It's just let's also talk about, you know, keeping our children safe online. I think some of the things that we have to do, and I'll get into the mobility, is focus on paying attention to what our children are doing. Um, when we were growing up, we didn't have cell phones. This is a different generation now. Uh, the access to information where we are transitioning away from paper to, you know, truly digital is, and this world is so connected now, it is opening up both positive and negative opportunities for our children. One thing I would have to state that we have to do a really good job of is not being afraid to understand with your child with that device, what is your child doing? Because the risk of something going on or someone taking advantage of that child that's very sophisticated is high. So that's the number one thing. We have to mitigate that risk by being involved, being involved with our kids, that if they have a device, what are we allowing them to do? If you have opportunities to use applications, tools with your smartphones, whether it's an iDevice, an iPhone or iPad, a BlackBerry, not a BlackBerry, but uh, let's say a Windows phone, a Samsung, a Galaxy, you name it, those devices, what are we doing to ensure that we're staying active and involved to ensure that we're truly just trying to mitigate the risk of some type of impact? So that's the number one thing with our children, especially if they're so just prepared and sophisticated when it comes to technology. Um, for me to be able to watch my children figure something out in a couple of minutes where it may take me some time to actually read through, it just amazes me. Um, but let's, let's, let's go back to mobile devices. One, patch your devices. Stay ahead. You know, if it's once a week, what we always talked about with desktops, laptops, you name it, patch it. Make sure you're staying up to date on your antivirus and your Windows patches, if you own Ubuntu, your non-Windows, that you're patching your devices, patching your applications. But it's critical with our mobile devices that we don't want to rest on our laurels. Make sure there's a, if there's an update for your phone or your tablet, apply the update. Normally, it takes only a few minutes, um, and it, it, it takes you that extra step to ensure that you're trying to protect yourself. Um, Mm-hmm. When you're at home with your wireless devices, use mm-hmm. long passwords. Don't use an A character. I know that it can be tedious and it's time-consuming, but the, the few minutes that you spend creating a very complex uh, password or passphrase can really save you a lot, of, a lot of time versus trying to recover from some loss at your home due to an 
insecure wireless network or your neighbors sniffing and connecting you to network, I always recommend at least a 22-character password. And, again, I know some in the audience are thinking that's too, too much, but if you, think, if you make it more difficult for someone to access your network, they're more than likely going to go somewhere else. That's a lot easier. So I always mm-hmm. say that make it, you know, I go with 22 characters. I try to, you know, not use anything that's easily found in a dictionary. Uh, try to randomize it. It's long, but it can save you a lot of time. Um, when you're using public Wi-Fi, be very careful um, when using public Wi-Fi with, you know, banking. Um, information where you're having to input data um, over insecure network, be very careful there. When you're not using it, turn your Bluetooth off. Um, Bluetooth, um, not easily, but can be hackable. If you're not using Bluetooth, and I know a lot of us have our headphones, uh, earpieces, uh, our wearables, but if you're not using it, turn it off. One, is a good thing. Actually, by turning it off, when you're not using Wi-Fi, turn it off. When you're not using Bluetooth, turn it off because it can save your battery. Uh, we talked about, you know, the Wi-Fi network, but use strong pin and passwords. Um, use them extremely strong. Use your screen lock when you're when let it time out over a few minutes. You know, the worst case you have to log back in. But going back to uh, passwords, that standard four character password that comes to your phone. Try to use a longer password because the smaller the password, you're inviting people to potentially come in and do something. So I think with those those tips. It can go a long way to really help and uh, not maybe not prevent everything, but minimize the risk of something happening. Mm-hmm. So mitigating risk, um, you mentioned the fact to patch your device, uh, look at the application to apply the updates to ensure your protection, use long passwords, um, and you mentioned going with a uh, standard 22-character set. Um Nothing that's in the dictionary, randomize your password, and then especially, and I'm glad that you touched upon it, uh, with the public Wi-Fi system. And I share this with our audience as well, especially when you travel in hotels. There are so many counterfeit um, 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 networks out there where people have put out an open open, um, um, open uh, connection so that people would use it just to snatch their information. So double-check. As well, so on the public Wi-Fi system, um, as you mentioned, to turn off your Bluetooth, don't don't leave that open, or don't even leave the uh, Wi-Fi your Wi-Fi open as well. Um, excellent information and sharing with our audience, and it's 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 needed to be heard. I'm I'm, I'm glad that you shared it with us. Um, it's very important uh, for our audience to know those those tips, and then actually to to embed those in in your behavior and to use them. Um, um, actively. Um, are there any others that you can share with our audience in, in our closing moments? Just be aware of what you're doing, that uh, a lot of your devices, they'll come um, not locked down. It is your job when you receive that device to, you know, be aware of what you're doing. And with our kids, just be aware of how secure their devices. A lot of our kids, you know, you'll go place, you'll watch. They do really don't secure the devices. They, they use them a lot, but are they secure? I mean, and one other thing that's not really security-related, but please pay attention to your child's posture or your posture. 
when you're using your device. Uh, there are uh, some recent studies of a lot of us, when we're holding our devices, we're holding our heads down and looking down. Please pay attention to your posture because that can, you know, invite the audience. Just go research what we're seeing now from individuals that are constantly on their phone all the time, what potential damage we're doing to our posture and to our necks by straining our necks to look at our phone and just holding that position for so long. So one thing I tell uh, a lot of the, uh, tell my own children, is if you're holding a device, hold it up towards your face. Don't look down and strain your neck all the time because you don't know what type of long-term damage not only are we doing, but that our kids are doing to themselves. Mhm. Awesome. That's that's that is uh, that is very valuable information. Um, I, I read a study some time ago with regards to um, um, in Japan that they actually have clinics for um, um, addressing issues around using um, cell phone technology. Um, you know, anywhere from something as common as we fear with carpal syndrome. Um, now, like you said, with eyes, um, and you mentioned posture, uh, so definitely become aware of of how you're u- utilizing device and how it's affecting your your your, your you know your body uh, with regard to that. That's that's very good information, uh, Mr. Belton. That's that's just awesome in sharing with us. In our closing moment, uh, what would you like to leave um, as some uh, parting thoughts with uh, our our radio audience? Well, I just have a few, and I'll try to be be brief. But as you grow your career, no matter where you go, whether it's in technology, or business, or entrepreneurship, ensure that you seek out a mentor and a sponsor. You, the biggest gains in your career will be from those you leverage. Think of them as a map. Um, as you're going through your journey, they can help you navigate your way towards success. Um, you'll be able to experience their life lessons. Lean on them for guidance. And with those life life lessons, potentially not make some of the mistakes they made and help you move forward. Um, Don't be afraid to fail or take risks. I think through those failures and challenges, when we fall down is when we grow up and we prosper. Um, When we have things, when things are always easy, we don't at times appreciate what that struggle and really appreciate what that success means. I think lastly, um, I'm extremely appreciative of this opportunity to appear tonight. Um, I think Juan Gilbert summed it up extremely well. And don't be a, don't forget where you came from as you continue to move forward in life. Pay it forward. we got to strive to pay it forward and lead by example. Um, I think the one last thing, one of my mentors, Gary Sims Sr., is we as a group need to focus on reading, reading everything we can and learn. Uh, not be afraid to go back in and constantly learn and, and change, but read. Um, I think that as we are becoming more and more focused around digital, we're spending a lot of time with our devices. We're spending a lot of time, you know, with the television or different things. But then the one thing I think we're losing is that love of reading, uh, which is really going to help help you move. So just read every single thing you can, whether it's the newspaper, the Wall Street, USA Today. Um, books, whether technical books, finance, financial books, um, you name it. Just pick it up and read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely great information. Uh, reading, don't forget where we came from. Pay it forward. Navigate. Uh, identify guidance and life lessons learned from others. 
um, and, and taking risk and appreciate that in which has been shared with you. Uh, again, uh, Mr. Lawrence Belton, thank you for sharing with our audience, and thank you for coming on the DDPI radio this evening. And I'd like to close out the program and, and thanking our listeners and our, and our guests as we, again, in this night's session, uh, thank you again, Mr. Belton. Thank you, sir. And now a word from our sponsor. Join the evolution of IT and embrace the digital future at the 37th Annual National BDPA Technology Conference and Free Career Fair at the Washington Hilton Hotel, located at 1919 Connecticut Avenue, Northwest Washington, D.C., from August 18th to 22nd. BDPA is the largest African-American information technology association in the U.S., involved in training professionals and students in the fields of science, technology, engineering, and math. For the past 36 years, BDPA conferences have provided opportunities for innovators like you to get the knowledge and resources that are critical to stay on top. So please, from August 18th to 22nd, you too can join the evolution of IT and embrace the digital future. For more information on BDPA's National Conference and Free Career Fair, please visit www.bdpa.org. All right. Thank you for joining us on Tuesday, February 23rd, 2016. Our guests were Dr. Juan Gilbert, Computer and Information Science Chair at the University of Florida, Mr. Kobe Burrell, Computer Software Consultant and Contractor, and finally, Lawrence Belton, Assistant Vice President at Wells Fargo. Thank you to our co-hosts, myself, Jayla Cruz, Tim Butts, and Ron Story. Thank you to our studio engineer, Everardo Gallimore. Thank you to our producer, Fran McNeil. And extra appreciation to Mr. Wayne Hicks, Executive Director of the BDPA Education and Technology Foundation. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the BDPA iRadio Show. I'm Jayla Cruz, inviting you to listen in on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our next show airs. Tuesday, March 8th, 2016. Join us at www.blogtalkradio.com slash BDPA. BDPA iRadio, linking business, education, and technology. The BDPA iRadio show creates a vibrant communications platform that speaks to all BDPA stakeholders. Hosted by Fran McNeil sponsored by the BDPA Education and Technology Foundation and the Executive Director, Wayne Hicks, produced by Everaldo Gallimore, technical advice by John Melanson. BDPA iRadio broadcasts the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. Join us on blogtalkradio.com backslash BDPA. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.